He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. What's the thing you've been searching for your entire life? What if the wisdom or the power that you seek isn't hidden in some distant land waiting to be discovered, but it's actually been available to you for thousands of years and you just haven't known where to look? What if the kickstart you've been looking for in your spiritual life is waiting for you? Not waiting in the new and shiny, but waiting in the old and ancient. Waiting in traditions that have been taking place in the church for centuries. In the stillness and the quiet of these traditions, God reveals himself to us. And in the asking, we find out that he's always been there waiting, waiting in the simple traditions of the church, beyond the past, beyond the present, beyond the future. They're timeless. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How is everyone? Good. It's good to see you. If you're new here, a special welcome to you. My name's Chase. I'm one of the pastors around here. We are in week three of our series that we've been calling Timeless. And so we are looking at some of the ancient traditions that we do around here at Hope, and not just us, but all Christians around the world do and have done for thousands of years. And we've been learning that when it comes to these ancient traditions, there is more than meets the eye. Um, that if we take the time to actually understand them, far from being boring rituals, these ancient traditions are actually the means by which God wants to empower our walk with him. And so as we've unpacked them, we've learned that, that if we approach them correctly, not only do we have some powerful times here monthly here at Hope, but they can actually impact our entire spiritual walk. And so we're continuing that theme this week, and we're going to be unpacking another ancient tradition. And it's not something that we do every month. Instead, we do it every single week. In fact, we're doing it right now. What do you think it is? The weekend service. Yes, it's kind of like that movie Inception. We're talking about the weekend gathering as we're gathering. That's crazy. But this may seem like a weird tradition to talk about. You may say, Chase, we have nine to 10,000 people that, that come to church every single weekend across all of our campuses. So I think we understand this is important. And who doesn't understand singing worship songs or praying or listen to a sermon? Well, uh, every single weekend we have guests that, and this is their very first time walking through the doors of a church. And a lot of you grew up in a Catholic church. Do they do this at a Catholic church? No. So we need some help understanding that. But I also know this, that during Christmas Eve services, we have over 23,000 people join us. You know what I don't think happens? I don't think that every single person here brings one family member and shows up to those services. If, if you live in the triangle, I know this about you. You're not from here. So a lot of you guys leave, right? And then we have some family members here. We also have these weird spikes in attendance throughout the year that we can't explain. All that data kind of tells me we probably have two to 3,000 of you folks that come in shifts. So you guys come every three weeks, or maybe you're on the every five-week shift. I think if every single person that called Hope Community Church home showed up on one weekend, we would freak out. We have no room. We would not know what to do. So I don't think that normal, I don't think that weekly attendance is the norm here at Hope. I actually think it's the rarity. But even if we're doing okay, other churches across the country are not. 
Uh, regular church attendance is on the decline and has been on the decline for decades. This is just in America. All over the globe, the church is booming and growing like crazy. But in America and Europe, it's not. I looked at the most recent uh, statistics. In 2018 and 2019, 49%, just 49% of Christians that are baby boomers, they're in that, that age, they attended church at least twice a month. And that is a crazy statistic for me. That means over half of all baby boomers that would proclaim to be Christ followers attend less than twice a month. Maybe it's twice a year or even less than that. And these are the boomers. These are the consistent, hardworking, devoted folks. As you would expect, when we look at younger audiences, it just gets worse. Only 46% of Generation X attend twice a month, and only 35% of millennials. That means that 65% of millennials attend once or twice a year or not at all, in all of 2018 and 19. And this is not millennials as a whole. These are people who are Christians that would proclaim to be Christ followers. So why is this? Why is this regular church attendance on the, on the decline? Well, I think it's for a number of reasons. First, as Americans, we don't really like or trust institutions or organizations. And I think that our distrust is only growing. Politics is not helping out at all, but I think the church gets lumped into these institutions, so we see that. I also know that we are consumeristic here in America. We do not like to do things that aren't immediately beneficial and fun. Uh, I mean, if I have a choice of staying at the pool on a Saturday afternoon and having another White Claw or going home and taking a shower and coming to a Saturday evening service or a Sunday evening service, that's a hard decision some days. That's not a hypothetical situation. That's me confessing what Saturdays are like during the summer for me. So, because sometimes church is awesome, right? Sometimes they sing all of my favorite songs and Mike has an awesome sermon and he makes fun of UNC and it's a great weekend. But sometimes he talks about singleness and I'm married. Or he talks about marriage, and I'm single. Or even worse, he talks about marriage, and I'm fighting with my wife. And that is not a beneficial weekend for my safety in the, in the short run, but also in the long term. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of reasons that, that attending church is on the decline, but I think it really comes down to one fact. That many of us, we just don't prioritize the weekend like God tells us to. And we don't prioritize it because we don't see how important God says it is in our walk with him. My fear is that in an age where we have access to thousands of online sermons and hundreds of streaming church services every Sunday and thousands of Christian podcasts that we've downplayed the importance of regularly and intentionally gathering together with a local body of believers. And I hear this stuff all the time. Hey, I wasn't at church this weekend, but I listened to the message, great job. Or, you know, my family was at the beach or the mountains, and so we just live streamed another church's service. And that's not bad things. That's not bad. But it's statements like me that, like these that make me think that we don't fully understand why the weekend gathering is different and much more important than just listening to a sermon. And I'm a guy who gives sermons, okay? I like sermons. But the weekend gathering is more important. Let me put it this way. I think that there are thousands of you that are sitting in your seat right now, and you're in the right place to experience God's power, but because you don't understand what this time is supposed to be about, you're not reaping the benefits. You're in the right spot. You're just missing out on what God has for you. It's like this collection of individuals I found that go to a gym. They, they're going to a gym to get those gains, to get in shape, but because they don't fully understand how this gym things works, they're not reaping the benefits. They're missing out. Let's watch this video.
There's no weights on it. This is my favorite one, watch. He's got weights on it, but... There we go, one inch down, one inch up. (laughs) All right, I don't want you guys to be those people, okay? So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, if you're new to this Bible thing, it's near the end of the New Testament. It's kind of hard to find. Use the table of contents. No one's gonna judge you. I still have to do that. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the side screen. As you're turning there, this is gonna be a very familiar passage to a lot of you. It's the go-to passage that preachers use when they're talking about the weekend gathering. So I don't think that this is gonna be a groundbreaking sermon for most of you. My prayer is that it just serves as a healthy reminder. Um, And I also know the last two sermons have been inspirational. You've walked out of here encouraged. Uh, This this weekend might be a little bit different. Um, It's going to take some humility to hear what God's word says. God's word's definitely going to jump on, uh, uh, step on some toes. That's okay. Um, But let me read these verses with you. I really just want to camp out on the last two, but I want you to see the context. Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is a complicated kind of a few verses. The author of Hebrews is, is Jewish, and so he throws a lot of those Old Testament background there. But let me just kind of tell you what he's saying. He's saying he's holding out in front of us what's available to us as Christians. He's saying we have access to the very presence of God. That's amazing. We have Jesus as our high priest, as an advocate for us. That is amazing. We have grace and mercy, and we have new hearts. They've been washed clean. So in light of all the amazing realities that are in front of us as Christians, let's do something about it. The first thing he says to do is in verse 22 where he says, let us draw near to God. He's saying you can have a relationship with God now, so pursue that. Run after that with your whole heart, sincerely, passionately, with all that you have. He's saying, you are in the family of God, so don't act like an orphan. Don't don't hang out on the front porch. Walk into your new house. Sit in your dad's lap. Talk to him. um, Be with him. Pursue him. Spend time with him. And then the second thing he says, after pursuing God, in verse 23 is, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He's saying, on this road to pursuing God, there's going to be some twists and turns in the road. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some seasons of suffering and pain. There's going to be some potholes that you see in the road, and that's going to make you want to swerve to the right or swerve to the left. It's going to make you want to get off the path that God has for you. But the author says, don't do it. Don't swerve. Be steadfast. Persevere. Keep your faith in God, even when times get tough. Okay, Let's just pause here before we get to the third thing. 
Do you want those things? Do you want a deep and meaningful relationship with God? Raise your hand. I do. Do you want to persevere when times get tough? Raise your hand. Do you want to keep the faith till the end of your life? I want that. But are these easy things? No. These are very, very hard to chase after. I have a hard time pursuing my wife and my two little daughters, and they're in front of me, and they talk back, right? It's a whole other thing to pursue after God. That's not my natural inclination. And I want to persevere when times get tough. I want to keep the faith. But it's hard sometimes, you know, God's word doesn't hit me, uh, all that. My, my natural inclination is not to praise him in the midst of the storm, right? These are things that we all want, but they're hard. And God knows that. God knows that the life that he has called us to after salvation is difficult. And because of this, he has given us an incredible tool. So what is it? What is that powerful tool he's given us? What piece of gym equipment is gonna make my relationship with God stronger? What tool is gonna make my faith persevere? Well, he tells us. Everyone, look to your left real quick. I can see you, the lights aren't that bright. Look to the left, good. All right, now, look to your right. (laughs) You see those people? That's it. That's the tool. Those people that are in front of you and behind you and to your right and to your left, those are some of God's greatest gifts to you. Some of you know those people. You're like, can I give my gift back? No, you can't. So look, (laughs) look at what he says, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I wanna camp out on these verses for the rest of our time. What the author is saying is that in this life of, of following after Jesus, maybe like you're a new follower, in this life of trying to figure out this whole relationship with God thing or fighting against sin thing or keeping the faith through the difficult times, the single most important factor and whether you keep taking steps or not and whether you persevere or you don't is if you regularly gather together with a body of believers to build each other up in faith. Let me say that again. The single most important factor in whether you keep taking steps or stall out and whether you persevere or you don't is if you regularly meet together with a body of believers for the purpose of building each other's faith. Okay? That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to, you have to, when you consider what's at stake, you would be crazy not to meet together regularly with other believers, be together so that you can grow spiritually. And I'll put it like this. Without regular and intentional times of faith-building togetherness, I get that from that verse, togetherness, it is really hard to sustain your spiritual growth. And I would go so far as to say it's impossible. It may be possible, I've just never seen it. And that word that he uses there for meet together, it doesn't mean that we just have coffee with another believer. It's not a phone call with another Christian. It's certainly not watching online as other Christians do church. The Greek word is episynagoge, which means synagogue. It's the, it's the formal corporate gathering of the local church on the Lord's Day. I was talking with some pastor friends of mine this week, and I said, hey, have you ever known someone who is just running hard after God? Who when, when, the, when, the, when life gets hard, when life gets really, really, um, uh, they go through a season of suffering, they just persevere like crazy. Have you ever known someone like that that didn't attend church regularly? And every single one of my pastor friends said, no, I've never met anyone like that. It may be possible, I've just never known anyone like that. 
And I think that's one of the biggest myths that we believe in a culture, that it can be, hey, it's just me and Jesus, right? That you don't have to commit to a local body of believers in order to grow and thrive as a Christ follower, right? It may be possible, but I've just never experienced that, and you certainly do not see it in the Bible. Look at how serious the author is about the weekend gathering. He says, do not neglect meeting together. He says it's like the gas in your gas tank, or the amount of money in your checking account, or those knots that you tied on your climbing rope before you started climbing up. He's like, you can neglect that, but you do so to your own peril, okay? You need to watch it, keep watch over it, pay attention to it, make sure that you're doing it. He says, he says to watch out for even the beginning of a habit of attending less often. See, God knows how easy it is to drift into missing a service here or there, and for that to, to just become your lifestyle. And it happens slowly and subtly, just like any other habit. You start coming, when you get married, you find a good church, you're here every single Sunday, then you have kids, and kids are tiring, and you like your sleep, so you miss a Sunday here and there. Then the kids grow up, and they start playing sports. They start playing soccer, or basketball, or dance, so you miss a little more, a few more weekends. Then comes vacations. Then you get older, and you can afford a house at the beach, or a house at the lake, and you miss more and more. And you get accustomed to sleeping in on Sundays or staying at the pool on Saturday afternoons or Sunday evenings until attending church becomes abnormal. You usually don't, but sometimes you will. He says, be on your guard against the very beginning of that kind of drift. Don't let it happen. If you're a Christ follower, make sure that your life is characterized by a weekly habit of gathering together with other believers. And it's interesting that he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Is the D capitalized in your Bible? It is in mine. He's talking about the day that Jesus comes back. Don't worry, he's not trying to scare you. He's not saying, if Jesus comes back on a Sunday and he catches you watching Sports Center, man, no, that's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying what the Bible says everywhere. He's saying that as time marches on and the further away we get from the cross, and the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, gathering together becomes way more important because it's just gonna get harder to be a Christian. Jesus told us that the world will get more evil, that temptations will just get stronger, that persecutions will ramp up. So he's saying the further away we get from the cross without Jesus coming back, the more important it is to meet together. He's serious about this, isn't he? But why? Why is it so important to meet together as a church? I mean, I have my Bible. I got a devotional. I got the version phone app. I got sermons I can listen to online. Why do I need to go into a building every week? What's the importance of that? Well, I think the author of Hebrews understands you and me better than we understand ourselves. Okay, this is where, you know, I said it's going to take some humility here. We like to think of ourselves as pretty capable people. We like to think of ourselves as pretty consistent people. I'm pretty dependable. I'm pretty persevering. I'm pretty self-disciplined. But the author has a way more realistic view of us than we do of ourselves. He's saying, you're not as strong as you think you are. That's just true. You're not as dependable. You're not as disciplined. You're not as consistent. You're not as, uh, as strong-willed as you think that you are. The author knows that there is a, a propensity, a strong propensity in all of us to drift away from what God calls us to, or to drift this way, to just slack off, to drift away from pursuing God, especially during seasons of stress and suffering. And if we're honest, isn't that all of life? Stress, 
suffering, stress, suffering. He uses an interesting word in verse 24, and it's that word spur. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I noticed it because I'm like, I don't ever remember reading that in the New Testament. It's because it's not there. This is the only time in the New Testament that it's used. And so I looked up what it means, and it means to literally poke someone with something sharp, to jolt them, to surprise them. And that's what a spur is, right? You Fuquay people know, the carry people are like, what? It's a, it's a sharp thing that goes on the bottom of a cowboy's boot so that when they're on a horse and that horse starts to veer to the left, you jolt that horse on the left to get him back in the middle. Or that horse starts to drift to the right, you jolt that horse on the right to get him back to the middle. Or that horse starts to slow down, you jolt him on both sides to get that horse back up to speed. He's using an animal analogy here. Now, in other places in the Bible, we're called sheep. You guys know that. And sheep are pretty dumb animals. They always need the shepherd. It's not, it's not like a compliment when Jesus calls us that. So this author is being a little bit more gracious. I think he's calling us donkeys. Okay, you're a donkey. I'm a donkey. That's what he's saying, I think. And without direction, without regular jolts to our system, we just naturally head that way. Or we head that way. Or we turn around and walk backwards. Or we stop, lay down, take a nap, right? We need jolts. There's actually a parallel passage in Hebrews 3. A parallel passage is a passage in kind of the same book of the Bible that uses the same wording, and it's getting across the same point. It just brings up different nuances. Read with me a parallel passage. It's in Hebrews 3.12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful or an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. See, that's our parallel. As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What the author is saying is that on the road to pursuing God, on the road to fighting sin, on the road to persevering in our faith, there's almost two ditches. On this side, you have the ditch of sin, right? As you're, as you're pursuing God, I'm not gonna hand, uh, hamper on this, but as you're pursuing God, you're going to be tempted to, you're going to be kind of dragged away or enticed by or nudged towards this ditch of sin to choose your ways or your own choices above God's commands and God's principles, right? To be pulled towards greed or anger or selfishness or lust or gossip or laziness or hundreds of other things. And we need each other in a weekly uh, time where we meet together so that we can kind of get that jolt that we need to get us away from that ditch of sin so that we don't get stuck. You see that? But there's another ditch on this side. And it's the ditch of unbelief, right? So that none of you has a sinful or unbelieving heart. When life gets really, really hard, when suffering comes our way, when we experience pain, we can easily start to think to ourselves, is God really good? Is God really present? Is he working? I've been doing what he's told me to do for years and years and years. It doesn't seem to be benefiting me. Is this worth it? And we can get pulled or nudged or dragged into the ditch of unbelief where we'll get caught in just depression or despondency. And we need each other and a regular weekly time where we gather together to kind of jolt us and remind us of the truth of who God really is. You need those jolts. Right? Listen, your Bible on your nightstand is an incredible tool from God. But it is not going to jump up and walk over to you in the kitchen and tap you on the so shoulder and say, hey, I've noticed you're in sin. You need to read Leviticus. Right? It's not going to do that. 
And that pastor that gave that sermon that you watched online, he is not going to call your home phone and say, hey, I see you've given up your faith in God. You need to believe. Here's who he really is. They're not going to do that. But when we show up here on the weekends regularly and we put ourselves in the midst of God's people, we're kind of voluntarily submitting ourselves to the correction on this side that we need and the encouragement on this side that we so desperately need. You see that? You see, you have 168 hours during the week. It's a total number of hours you have. Take away eight hours for sleep, which none of you sleep eight hours, then that leaves us with 112 waking hours. For 112 hours every single week, you're out in the world kind of alone. And the world does not want you to stay on the right path. So for 112 hours, it is doing everything that it can to pull you or entice you this way or to pull you and drag you this way. And we have one hour of week where we can reset, where we can make sure that we are still heading in the right direction. One hour a week where we show up with the rest of God's people so we can get that jolt or that encouragement that we need. So when you get up on Sunday mornings, when the rest of the world is sleeping, or when you cut your Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon short, when the rest of the world is just turning on that football game and opening up the first beer, you're prioritizing something in your life. You're saying, I want to move forward. I want to stay on this path and take steps forward. And then when you pull into the parking lot, what do you see? You see a guy with a Mickey Mouse hand waving you in, right? And you see them pointing their way to a parking spot. And then you walk in and there's greeters that greet you and say good morning and an usher helps you find your seat. And what do you feel that? You feel loved. You feel accepted. It may have been 112 hours that you spent trying to earn your boss's favor. It might have been 112 hours where your husband or wife or ex-wife or ex-husband just expressed their disapproval of you. And then you come into this place and you're like, oh, they love me and they accept me because God loves me and he accepts me. They're excited that I'm here. Because God is always excited to see me. And, it, and I get that encouragement back towards the center. And then I walk in and I see the faces of some of my favorite people in the world. My brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm looking at some of you right now. And, uh, and I see you and we talk and we have conversations. You say, hey, how was that project at work? I've been praying for you. Or can I pray for you now? And I'm reminded, I'm not in this alone. It's worth it. People are taking steps. I can take steps, and I'm nudged back to the center. And then I walk down, and I find my seat, and the worship leader tells me to stand, and two incredible things happen. This is my favorite time of the weekend, the worship time. No offense, Mike. Well, he's not here. He won't hear, but two things happen. I begin to remind myself and sing out loud the truths that my heart need to hear. It's amazing how the worship leader every single weekend picks the song that I need to hear, right? Your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me, and it's like this huge reset where I say, that's right, I messed up this week, and that's okay, because your love never gives up, right? You don't give up on me, let's recenter, let's recommit, and then I hear the other people around me singing the same words, and it's so powerful. And it's powerful because I know the people in this church. I know behind me, two rows, I hear her voice as a lady that's been struggling and fighting with cancer for three years. And it went into remission, but it just got a bad test result two weeks ago. And I know to my left, down there, there's a single mom who just started school again. And she's so tired, and I can see it. And on the other side, 
There's a couple from my small group, and I forgot, but this week is the anniversary of the miscarriage that they had last year as they try to start a family. And I hear these voices sing, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. I say, if they can sing that, it's true. It's gotta be true. And I receive this huge just jolt that launches me forward, just right into the very heart of God. And then perhaps one of the most powerful things we do here every weekend, the campus pastor comes out and makes announcements. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But this is important because when we celebrate things like Night to Shine or the free toy store or Project Classroom, I'm reminded, oh, that's what life is all about. It's not about the new car, the bigger house. It's not about me. It's about loving people in this city, in this world. It's about helping people see in the triangle the incredible love their Heavenly Father has for them. And then we sit. And we place ourselves under God's word and we listen to the sermon and we, we allow the speaker to say really, really hard things some weeks and really, really encouraging things some weeks. And we just spend 30 or 40 minutes thinking about and remembering God and his principles and his promises. And then we close and we leave and we're literally sent back out into the world with almost a, a renewed fear of and disdain of sin, which is healthy, a renewed belief in the promises and the goodness of God and a renewed passion for more and more people to know him and experience him. And we've recentered, we've reset. We've allowed God to use his people to spur us, to jolt us, to encourage us back on the right path. And you wanna stay at the pool instead? Huh. And you wanna take your kids out of this environment so they can go kick or hit a ball? No. This is the priority. This is so, so important. And let me say this, and I don't want to offend anyone. I really don't. But I know a few people in my life that are going through a hard time. There's a marriage that's kind of suffering, and then uh, another one of my friends is, is dealing with a harmful habit. And in conversations with them, they're, they're not committed to a local church yet. In conversations with them, I just realized You know, they think that the church is God's plan B. And the plan A, God's plan A, his normal means of helping them is he's just gonna zap them from heaven. Like he's gonna sprinkle them with Holy Spirit dust and radically change them after they say a prayer. And so that's kind of how they're approaching it. So they prayed, they've gotten some books, they've watched some YouTube videos, they're talking to some other Christian friends, but, but they just pray and they say, all right, change my marriage, God. They say, God, please help me with this addiction. And I ask them about church and they say, no, I'm, I'm busy, man. You know, I haven't found a church that I like. Hear me when I say this. Like, the church is God's plan A for your life. It is the normal means by which he shapes and changes and transforms you. And I don't think you can expect God to work powerfully in your life when you've separated yourself from that normal means of power. Okay? My parents... Uh, growing up, they struggled with drinking. Um, they didn't struggle to drink. They struggled drinking too much. And uh, that changed when I was in sixth grade. I asked their permission if I could share this. Um, but it was just the, the group of friends that they had, that's all they had in common was alcohol. And they were functional, you know. They didn't do it every single night. But Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, they're going to be drinking. And I have some memories of that. 
But then when I was in sixth grade, Gray Porter invited me to First Baptist Church Indian Trail. It's in South Charlotte. And uh, so I went for a few weekends and I drug my parents along. And I'll never forget after a few weeks of showing up on the weekend, I get a knock on our door on a Tuesday night. This is back when churches still did visitation. You remember that? They would visit every single guest that came. And so the lead pastor was there and so was the youth pastor, John Sprinkle. So they walked in, they had gotten to know my parents on the weekend service and so they had a great conversation, kind of ended it with, hey, I love you guys. If there's anything that we can do, let us know. And they left. And my parents thought that was so cool. So they kept going to church week after week after week. And a few months of doing that, after meeting people, interacting with people, they stopped drinking. And they have not touched a drop since. And that was the right decision for them. And uh, they met some people along the way. Um, When they started doing this, when they quit, they lost every single one of their friends. None of them wanted to hang out with them or anything to do with them. They they, they made some new friends. Uh, To this day, John Sprinkle, my old youth pastor, is one of my dad's closest friends, right? But they showed up to the normal means of God's power. They were getting stuck in the ditch of sin, and they got that jolt. They got that correction to get back on the right path. When uh, my wife grew up in Southern California, and uh, when she was 13, her parents went through a rough patch, and so they separated. And so her mom packed up a car with all of their belongings, and they drove all the way across the country to Cary, North Carolina, for my mother-in-law to live with her sister, my, my wife to live with her aunt. Um, and um, until she could get a, a job and find them a, an apartment and build a new life. And they started attending a church called Hope Community Church when it was about 100 people. This was 23 years ago. And uh, you put yourself in my mother-in-law's shoes. She had one or two family members over here on the East Coast. She's adjusting to life in a different culture. She was a single mom for the first time. She had to work hard to make money to care for her daughter. It would have been very easy to go this way, Right? She was a Christ father, but it had been very easy. Like, God, why didn't you save my marriage? Why didn't you give me a better job? It had been so easy for her to give up faith and hope. But as she began attending here, this church, as they have so often done, the people of this church just surrounded her. And they helped her, and they loved her. And she remembers that. She was telling me this week that their very first Christmas, she didn't have enough money to give presents to my wife. And she said, Tom and Cindy Mitchell, who have been members here since the very beginning, they still go to the Apex campus. She said, Chase, they bought us Christmas presents. They treated us like family. And it was instants like that, after that, after that, where where when she could have lost her faith and stayed despondent or depressed, the church, the regular gathering together with other Christ followers pushed her back to the center and renewed her faith in God. And she still goes here. She serves in Kid City. So let me get really, really practical, okay? Um, There's a very wise saying that says, half a life is showing up. I know all of you have heard that. So I want to ask you to do five things before we leave. And this is going to be very, very quick. First, I'm going to ask you guys to show up often, okay? Duh. Yeah, I don't think I have to stress that. But can we just make a switch inside of our heads? Instead of other things competing with church, can church be the one thing that competes with those other things? Like instead of having excuses for why we don't go to church, can church be the excuse why we don't do other things? Let's make a regular habit of doing this. This might mean making some big changes. It might mean your kid needs to change sports leagues. Maybe he needs to to only do one travel team or season a year. Maybe um, you change the days that you go to that beach house or that lake house. Maybe instead of Saturday and Sunday, you go Thursday and Friday. Maybe it affects what shifts you take at work. Do that. 
do it so that you can make this a priority and show up often. Secondly, show up early. Okay, Hope is a huge place. It is hectic getting in to some of these campuses. You guys know that. Mike says all the time, if I didn't work here, I probably wouldn't come because it's such a hassle just to get in the front door, okay? Um, And we know that. So show up 15 or 20 minutes early. Did you know that our services are 60 minutes long normally? You know other churches aren't? (laughs) They're easily an hour and a half to two hours long. We do that to give you time to show up early to talk and to meet people and to form relationships. So take advantage of that. Get here 15 to 20 minutes early. That way you'll have time if, if you have to get on a park off site and get on a shuttle at your campus or just pull into the parking lot. You can, you can check your kids in. You can have some good conversations and you can prepare your heart. Maybe you can even meet someone new. You know what's really weird for new guests? When they show up 10 minutes, later, uh, 10 minutes early and you guys just roll in after the second song. That's really, really weird. They're looking around like, Man, it's twice the amount of people that was here at the beginning of the service. You wouldn't do that at home, would you? You wouldn't invite your neighbors over for 6 p.m. dinner and then show up at 6.30. No. So come early, about 15 to 20 minutes. Thirdly, show up to the same service. Go to the same service at the same time every single week. So you can get to know the people that are greeting you, that are making your coffee, so you can get to know the people that sit around you, so you can notice when a new family arrives, so you begin, uh, can begin to pour into and encourage a specific group of people. Fourth, this is a weird one, but show up with a plan. Remember our verse says, let us consider, think, plot, scheme, plan, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So when you walk through these doors, say, who can I encourage? Maybe you just take you know, the next two months and say, I'm not gonna leave a church service without praying for one person. You'd be amazed to see how much uh, benefit that adds to our church. So show up with a plan. And then lastly, show up expecting. When you walk into these doors, expect God to do something. Expect him to speak to you, encourage you through a brother or sister here. Expect him uh, to encourage someone or speak to someone through you. There's this little phrase in the book of Acts that I love. If you study it, you'll notice it. It's this phrase, when they were all together. And when you see that phrase, when they were all together, you know something incredible is about to happen. If you read the first few chapters, when they were all together, the Holy Spirit came in power. When they were all together, people were healed. When they were all together, needs were met and breakthroughs happened and people were saved and God moved in powerful ways. Expect that. Come in here expecting God to move powerfully. And I'll think you, I think that he'll surprise you with how often he does. So show up often. Show up early, show up to the same service, show up with a plan, and show up expecting, right? As we do this regularly, we're gonna take huge steps in our pursuit of God, right? And we do it together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that um, it's given in love and that it's true. Thank you for all the people that I just see sitting here before me that have made a huge impact in my life. Thank you that they're here. You know, I'm a staff member here. I think they need me, but most weekends I need them, and they're here. They're here for me, to pray with me, to encourage me, to rebuke me when I need it. So I thank you for that amazing gift. Would you remind us of this? Would you allow us to make this a priority, to fight against the drift of our culture? Would we prioritize pursuing you And when we take the necessary steps to make sure that this is just, man, it's just a habit of our lives. This is just what we do. 
And I pray that you get the glory and you get the honor when we do this. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 